hares, pheasants, partridges, snipes, barn door chicken, those tame valatic fowl, cappins, plovers, brawn, barrels of oysters, I dispense as freely as I received them. I love to taste them, as it were, upon the tongue of my friend. But a stop must be put somewhere. One would not, like Lear, give everything. I make my stand upon pig. Welcome to episode 7 of Sandwich Wingman. I'm Ryan Morrison. With me, as always, is Rob Hanna. Rob, how are you? I am great. Uh, that was a uh, that was a lovely quote you just read. I I uh, I want you to know that I also don't mind uh, tasting bacon on your tongue, if I can say that. Uh, now that that's a little awkward. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I get it. I think I, I think I, I'd like to unpack that later um, to, fi- <laughs> <laughs> to, to to figure out what what, what uh, Charles Charles Lamb meant by that, with um, or without a psychologist. Yeah, <laughs> I. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 highly supportive of having others help us uh, think through this type of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, so uh, so th- this week's reading was is from uh, Charles Lamb's uh, uh, the essays of Elia and maybe the the last essays of Elia. Is that correct? Yes, I think we just we we spread a wide net this week. Uh, we ran into these essays. Um, uh, Virginia Woolf characterized them in um, A Room of One's Own, which we read, uh, what was it, three weeks ago? Sounds about right. And um, they seem to be quite popular in her day. So, thought, well, they're in bite-sized pieces. Let's, uh, let's go check some of this out. And uh, you and I didn't read all of them. Uh, we have maybe four essays between us um, to to relate to, or to unpack yeah, um, but I think uh, we also got a pretty good idea of uh, what they are like and what the, what they are. So we'll come right back to that. But this is a big week. We've got bacon. Um, been looking forward to this week for a while. As have I. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ended up making two sandwiches with this week. Um, so I want to lead off with um, the one that uh, did not work out so well. So mm-hmm. we'll roll through our entire normal process on this. Um, I made a uh, a BLD. Okay. Bacon, lettuce, and dragon fruit. Wow. <laughs> what what is dragon fruit? Oh, it's a um, it's a I guess it's a fruit. Yeah, it's a fruit um, from a cactus. Okay. And it basically just like collects water. It's a uh, um, you should try one sometime, just because it it's a it's kind of in a category all its own. Um, it's uh, not like watermelon. Okay. It's kind of watery, like watermelon. Uh, okay. But uh, dragon fruit uh, tend to be sweet. There's a pretty wide variance in taste from dragon fruit to dragon fruit. Which is by itself interesting. And it's got a lot of seeds in it, which uh, uh, texture-wise, they're they're very interesting. Um, they're like bigger than uh, strawberries seeds, but um, still just like eminently edible. And they're, they're just throughout the flesh of the dragon fruit. Um, so it's just like kind of like a sweet... Um, just a sweet, watery, light fruit, I guess. But it, it mm-hmm. retains its shape very well. Um, and um, I don't know. I just thought uh, maybe I'd give that a shot um, instead of tomato. See how That's a great out. idea. Okay, and? And <laughs> did not work out that well. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. well, um, congratulations. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I just I put that on a, like a like a hamburger bun. And, okay. uh, so it kind of worked because the dragon fruit is able to kind of cut like a, a circular slice yes. of the dragon yep. fruit and, mm-hmm. uh, throw that on there and had some, some bacon, some romaine lettuce, some mayonnaise. Ooh, yeah. Um, but, uh, what I found is that the, the dragon fruit kind of, um, dominated the flavor. It was good. Like I, I enjoyed it, Okay. but it did not take 
good advantage of the bacon. So, but you you said it was something of a failure. Well, it's just uh, didn't think it was good enough. I ended up trying something else, and uh, and it's the uh, something else that I'm going to go with. So, okay, but I I will say I I respect because this is the uh, you know well one 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 purpose of this of uh, our venture here right is to try to take some risks. So I completely respect that. In fact, even just the BLD as an innovative uh, approach, you know, uh, good for you for going for it. Yeah, maybe there's a maybe there's a tweak there. Maybe they have to just keep the slice of dragon fruit very, very thin, which is something I didn't do. But uh, yeah. But anyway, let's get uh, let's get to the the main event here. I've been yes. Looking forward to what you did with bacon. I am very happy to report that I think I have something of a success this week. Great. Um, so uh, and uh, let's see if I could do a better job this week than past weeks of actually explaining <laughs> the sandwich itself. The uh, I'm going to call this a bacon and smoked gouda sandwich. Um, so this was a bacon and smoked gouda with sliced jalapeno and, and sliced pear on a pan-fried English muffin. So, wow. um, yeah. So, you know, not that many ingredients, but I really thought the ingredients worked very well together, which I can get to when we kind of take it apart a bit. But maybe I can speak a little bit to the assembly just to kind of kick it off. Um so I think this is actually relatively easy to assemble. Um, you know, I, I bought the bacon. The bacon had to be fried. Yeah. Um, so I fried a few slices. I chopped uh, pretty thin slices of jalapeno, fried them in the same kind of pan as the as the the bacon was it was in. Uh, and I sliced pear and thin slices. I ended up using just one kind of thin slice of pear as to add a little bit of crunch, essentially. Uh, dried the bacon and the jalapeno on a paper towel. And then, um, so, and then you know, so... The, took out any excess grease or something, so it kind of made it a cleaner sandwich. Sure. So uh, essentially you can just imagine kind of like an English muffin you can kind of hold in your hand. Oh, and, I, and then, then I threw the English muffin on the pan after that too and used that to pan fry. Oh. Um, yeah, so that was nice. So it, so it was everything was kind of infused with each other's flavors. But, you know, so maybe like uh, two slices of... Drowning Buda. in their own juices. Yeah, it was delightful. But um, um, it overall worked great. I would say that since it required some assembly, I'm still giving this a three... But I would say it still was relatively easy to, to make, so I was happy about that. Oh, and um, so 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 give yeah. it to me again: English muffin, jalapeno, yep, so it, yep, pear, one slice, a slice of pear, a slice of pear, like a thin circular slice of pear, like you were describing for the for the dragon fruit, uh, um, uh, smoke smoke gouda cheese, yep, and bacon, and several slices. So of bacon. what was the um, go go bottom to top? What was the order of ingredients? Um, so I think essentially we had, um, uh, I think there was some sliced bacon and jalapeno kind of, uh, on, on the bottom roll. If I recall, there was a slice of Gouda right on top of that. I hope, I was hoping that would keep it together. Mm-hmm. Then, um, I think I had, um, I think I put the pear on top of that and maybe another slice of cheese. And that was kind of the, the sandwich. I don't have the exact order, but essentially it was kind of stacked like that. Yeah, gotcha. Mostly it was bacon on the bottom and up towards the top was more the pear. So, um, what was the uh, English muffin like? Putting it in the... Uh, in the, in the was it a skillet? Uh, yeah, since it was a skillet. Yeah, it was... Um, I don't recall uh, it being that uh, soggy or anything. I mean, I had it pretty much immediately. This was not a sandwich I... Uh, I let's just say not a sandwich I packed a night in advance, um, right. and um, so I thought I just thought everything worked so well. I thought every flavor worked well, and I couldn't just taste the most, most weeks when I, when I report my sandwiches back to you. I normally focus on the bread a lot because I really taste a lot of bread. In this case, that I'm not sure if it's just because of the nature of English muffins, but there just wasn't that much to taste. Yeah, um, right. So maybe it could have added some kind of bacony flavor, but otherwise it just was kind of there as a as a holder for the good ingredients on the inside. That makes sense. I spent a lot of time thinking this week about um, the thickness of bread, because even this this the sandwich that I'm about to go with, um, right? Yeah, it just felt like um, I was tasting a lot of bread, and but I, I can't really go any thinner than this. I ended up using like a like a white Italian bread. Oh, okay, yeah, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so I don't really really know what to do there. I mean, I guess the other solution is just to really pile it high with ingredients. Exactly. Uh, but uh, that's a that's a balance that we'll we'll get towards, I'm sure. Yeah. So what um what, what did you make this week? Um. So I made um. 
I, I, I fried up some bacon and I basically made like a fake grilled cheese. Um, this was inspired by, um, in Boston, there's a Roxy's grilled cheese food truck. Yeah, okay. And they do a, a fantastic job and one of their best uh, grilled cheeses. It's called the Green Monster. And uh, oh. it is it is Munster cheese. Ah. Um, like crumbled bacon and uh, a nice layer of guacamole. Oh, that's delightful. So that's it actually it tastes uh, amazing. This uh, bring to work version was uh, did not did not reach that high ceiling. <laughs> but it was still pretty good. So um, so it, it it beat out the BLD, put it that way. Uh, so um, I, I had the white Italian bread, um, and I followed kind of the same procedure that I did with uh, the English muffins at work, where I toasted them, and then I was prepared to heat them with the cheese on top in the microwave to kind of melt the cheese without necessarily affecting the bread that much since they had already been toasted. Um... I did fry up the, the bacon the night before. Um, as you noted, there's only so many ways around that. Although, for the BLD, I ended up using a microwavable bacon. Okay. So there's there's a way to do that. But I didn't want to do that for this, because um, one of the things that makes that Roxy's grilled cheese great is the, the bacon is really not in strips. It's it's all like broken apart and uh, in little pieces. And I, I really wanted to simulate that. That wasn't going to happen with a microwavable bacon, so exactly, yeah. So I fried them in a in a, in a skillet. Um, I think I ended up using five pieces of bacon for this sandwich, and I really just uh, fried them up to a to a crisp. They were they were largely black pieces of bacon at the end, and I did the same thing. I put them on a paper towel at the end, drained them a little bit. Um, and I did really want them crumbled, so uh, it ended up being nice that you know you put them in a in a little plastic bag to bring to work, mm-hmm. and they're gonna break during the journey. But I kind of wanted them to break anyway. So in the end, there were some you know somewhat larger pieces, but a lot of like bacon crumbs. It was uh it was all good. So um, I had that. I had a little container of guacamole. Toasted the bread, put uh, three slices of Munster cheese on there, you know, two on one, one on the other. Put in the microwave. They were in the microwave longer than those English muffins were um, last month. This is like, you know, 35 seconds or maybe 40 before they before the cheese was clearly uh, melting. On the, the one where it had one slice of cheese, it was bubbling. The other one was just kind of melted. Uh, took those out. Crumbled the bacon on on one part, um, just just kind of spooned out some guacamole and on the other side, and made myself a kind of a fake grilled cheese there. I love it. Yeah, um, cool. How uh, if you had to rate it on your uh, ease of assembly scale? Um, I think I'm going to end up uh, at a two. Okay. Yeah, just the the step of frying the bacon is. Uh, you know, and plus the you add in the microwave stuff. Uh, this was not. I didn't. It didn't feel like a chore. Okay. So, because you know, the night before too, I made some more bacon. Enjoy bacon in some other ways. <laughs> it's easy to enjoy bacon. It really is. I I very much enjoyed mine as well this week. Um, great. Yeah, it's great. So well, let, let me let me let you keep going on this one with nutrition. Uh, I think I think we're both gonna have some issues with nutrition this week. Yeah. Uh, there was, there were very few redeeming characteristics of <laughs> the sandwich in terms of nutrition. I don't think I, uh, committed any cardinal sins, however, and the, <laughs> the guacamole was, a, you know, it was, a not a crazy guacamole or anything. It looked pretty good in the nutrition facts. So I'm going to end up back at a two. Okay. I, uh, I also gave it a two, but I, I was thinking about the word cardinal sins versus since we're talking about meat isn't wouldn't the word carnal also work here 
Um, um, I think that's something else. Okay. <laughs> um, although, although many experience with uh, experiences with bacon can seem carnal. Mm, right. Um, so, so, so I also agree that bacon and cheese is not that nutritious. Uh, so, uh, but, but I, but I'm giving myself the saving grace of the jalapenos and giving myself a two out of five. Okay. Yeah. And the pear is, uh, yeah, the the pear is healthy too. Right. But yeah, but even so I felt like the bacon and cheese really dragged it down, particularly the bacon. I mean, it's just fat, right? A lot of it. So, um, but it was so good. Yeah. I think I got most of the fat out of mine. Oh really? Which is, well, well, I mean, what do I know? Right. Although there was a. There's like a uh, like a reservoir of like congealed fat after I was done with mm. the bacon. I don't know that that has to come from somewhere. I assume if I had uh, fried them less, a lot of that grease would be still part of the bacon. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I kind of interrupted there. So. No, 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 no. But why don't why don't you tell me about the taste of yours? Yeah, so this is this is the uh, this is the tough one, uh, and I um, was trying to choose between a, a seven and an eight, uh, okay? Because it was good, and it was good enough to like make an effort to do this. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to settle in at a seven, I think. All right, the um, so a seven, I would say for you is also a sandwich you would think of making again. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to draw that line at, at like uh, six. Is something okay. I would. I would eat again. Uh, five, five or below, which you know we haven't really gotten there. Exactly. Um, that's something to be like. Well, I'd rather basically eat anything else that's available. Right. So, so as, as we say in the baseball lingo, you, it's uh, it's worse than substitute. Yeah. But uh, right, better than Is replacement. That, better than replacement. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah well, yeah. We, you, you are the uh, you are the baseball. Uh, uh, blogger, not me. Well, we, I, uh, yeah, we can come up with our own sandwich above replacement. Yes. Score. Oh, yes, exactly right. But yes, but well said. Um, but we would mon- need to calculate replacement, which is difficult. That would be difficult. Yeah. I, uh, the uh, it would be fun to kind of develop a uh, a uh, statistical uh, approach to that, huh? Um, yeah. It's, it's unclear because we don't really collect stats the way they do in baseball about food. Um, but yes, uh, my taste. Uh, for, for my taste, um, it, it was it, it was excellent. Um, the I give this a nine out of ten. This Great. was th- there was so many good things going on here. The crunch of the pear, balanced with the crispness of the bacon nicely, and then there was the um, there was the heat from the jalapeno mixed yeah. with the coolness of the pear. So that kind of balanced each other quite well. Um, but so I, was I, the I, cheese uh, flavor coming through? I, I believe yes. I don't remember much about the Gouda flavor. I think the bacon was was quite a, a you know powerful enough flavor that you kind of mostly feel like you're tasting that. Yeah. Um, but the, the the odd thing, and and I think this is just about the reason I wouldn't have given this a ten or something. It's and I don't know this is because of just habit, but tasting the smoky flavor of the cheese mixed with the bacon made me crave eggs. Oh yeah. Like 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 it made me think that this sandwich was incomplete. Because it did not have an egg in it, but since we already had eggs another week, I decided not to make this with egg. And yeah. I still think this this sandwich uh, could stand alone, um, but um, it just it, it doesn't feel like quite a complete meal, maybe as it were, if without the egg. Um, Interesting. So, but yeah, nine out of ten, excellent taste. Would make something like this again. Um, I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, it just was. I, I love the fact of mixing the heat of the jalapeno, the the coolness of the pear, and the crispness of the bacon. Like essentially, that's almost an umami flavor, right? With like the richness of the um, of the of the fat, right? Um, so all these things mix really well together. So um, yeah, so that was great. Um, and uh, may- maybe I'll jump quickly in with the integrity, just because I think sure. that's related a little to this, and then I'll kick it back to you. The um, I think that as usual, I think I'm learning over over the course of our episodes here that cheese is, is a nice ingredient to hold things together. You know, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily a uh, <laughs> a revelation there, but I found that uh, everything stayed together incredibly nicely. It, you know, the, the sandwich itself fits so nicely in a hand. I mean, that, that's what's the great thing about the size of the English muffin. So I give this a five out of five for integrity. It stayed together throughout the whole sandwich. Um, and I give it other pauses as we go along too, but but that was great. Um, so so what about yours? You were mentioning something earlier about the bread. So how did this all play out with the integrity of it? Um, I actually I this was integrity was a redeeming characteristic of the sandwich as well. 
Okay. Um, since I had the melted cheese on both sides, right? Um, I had no trouble with the bacon falling out. Um, there's, you know, a, a, I kind of kept the guacamole in the middle. Okay. Uh, anticipating that, you know, squeezing it together was going to cause the guacamole to move out to the edge. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that I could have improved on that. Um, so I, I'll, I'll stick with a five as well. Okay. Yeah. The, um, it was, um, was bite sized. I mean, it wasn't, would, uh, uh, like a one, one hand thing. Like I think yours probably was. Yeah, it definitely was. This was, I was able to get through the whole thing with, uh, as it were one hand. I think I used both hands to, to make it happen well, but. But you're right. It was it was it was bite sized and uh, hand sized. Yeah. Um. So um. So in, innovation here. Some some conversation pieces here. Um. Uh. So what about for you? I was going to stick right right in the middle with the three. Okay. You know I like the. There's there's something to be said there about like basically trying to simulate like a gourmet grilled cheese, um, without being able to grill anything. Right, um, and the guacamole was uh, it was nice to uh, there was something there to talk about. But I'm going to stay in the middle of the road and call it a three. Yeah, it's funny how I, I gave myself a similar score here with a three, um, but I feel like there was there was some innovation of mine as well. But um, you know, I mean, you know, bacon and cheese totally a very traditional combination, but like adding pear, I thought was quite unique. Uh, I, I don't know how often that is done. Yeah, but I, know, I, I, I actually. Yeah. I, so when I made my last run for a sandwich, yes, uh, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do, so I got a, a mix of ingredients, some of which I didn't use. Right. And uh, one of like the two or three that uh, you know I, I left on the table was a was a pear. I thought I thought briefly about apple. And I was like, no a pear. Yeah, I, so I mean, I support for the idea that it's uh, texture wise, I could really see that working. It really, it really did, and, and I think apple would be an interesting way to go. I, as you know, I, I, I guess I'm somewhat allergic to apples, so I, I always think of pear first. But I think a lot of people might, in this context, consider apple because you think of like apple smoked bacon, right? Or applewood smoked bacon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so the even though I gave this a middle of the road three out of five, I think that the the pear was an innovative addition. I, I think that adding some heat with the jalapeno was was nice, but I think the pear jalapeno combination. You know, would have made for a nice conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. I think that's that's pretty interesting. So, um, great. Uh, yeah. How about uh, your rate your experience? Yes, I was thinking that. So the sandwich size of mine was perfect. It was easy to hold. The thin slices of everything worked very well together. I think in past weeks, you, you know, I, uh, I I more haphazardly kind of built these sandwiches, but this week I was very thoughtful about trying to use, um, you know. Uh, thin slices mm-hmm. um, so that everything kind of, uh, you know, fit really nicely and, and it wasn't too big of a sandwich. So this was a five out of five um, for yeah, me. Yeah, you got a nice, nice, uh, I mean, the jalapenos is part of the experience. Exactly right. You got a nice mix of textures that work together and you don't Without have to fight doubt. with any of them. Exactly right. Yeah, great. This is a, well done, sir. Well, yeah, thank you. Yes. And uh, I, yeah, and I think people will think that it also was a nice looking sandwich. I was thinking as I was figuring out what, exactly what layers I had layered. Mm. I think once I get the photo up, I think I, we might find that I think I, I'm not sure where the pair was in, in the layers, but I, wherever it was, it was relatively near the top. So I think the picture will kind of, uh, will kind of tell that story. And I think you'll see that it was a relatively simple looking sandwich, but yet I think it had a lot of flavor and, and complexity. So, I, I, and yeah. I like that yours, um, you know, really paid tribute to the bacon still. You said the exactly bacon right. still dominated the flavor. That's the, yes, that's the important consideration, right? I think that's we're, exactly we've right. We've got we've got an ingredient. This is not just like a um, when we do a common ingredient, uh, um, a limiting factor. But it's like, oh well, what what can you do to bring out that ingredient? I guess exactly right. And, and this uh, was this was a lot of fun to do that. Yeah, yeah great. And what about you for your experience? Um, I'm going to rate my middle of the road uh, again. This is a three experience sandwich for me. I mean, okay. I, I like eating bacon. Um, you know, it just didn't have. I guess I, I was just judging it the whole time against the grilled cheese, which is you know, it's it's like a, it's literal, it's grilled, and yeah. on this truck, there's you know some grease involved. I think in that process, yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, it's not dry at all when you get it from the um, from the food truck, and 
they're in a position where they basically just keep smashing down that bread. They smash the whole thing together. Yeah. As they're as they're grilling it, and that's not something that uh, you know I had an opportunity to do, which is fine. That kind of worked out um, on the integrity side of things. But in terms of experience, you know, it was it was a it was an easy mouthful, but it wasn't you know, I this was not a, a great thing about the sandwich. I'll say that. So. so what does that bring you for a total score? I believe that's at, that leaves me at 22. Okay. But uh, you, you, it sounds like you killed it here. Uh, yeah, it would seem like that, but I added up and I only got to 27, which is still pretty good, right? I think we decided that, that was a yeah, pretty good Yeah, 27, that's like a... So now we've had 14 sandwiches. That's like a top three sandwich. I think that's right, and I totally agree with that. I, I think that the uh, uh, if I had added egg to this, I think this would have been an ultimate experience. Yeah, you never know, though. You never know. You never know. Good, good point. Good point. Um, but yeah, so I would say uh, I am so glad that we had a bacon week. Uh, this was this was so much fun. I don't eat a lot of bacon. We got to bring this back. Yeah, we really should. We got to bring bacon back. Um, but yeah, not the, so, but not the BLD. That's well, on, I, that's well, I think I'd show. like to experiment with different initials we could use for the last one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean uh, B- BL something. I mean, we got to figure out something else. Well, the uh, D the D is nice because you know, like a like a T. They're both, uh, uh, you know, dental plosives. They're There's right. One, exactly. one voice, the other not voiced. It just so happens that our our name for those two letters are also very similar to each other. You're right. Showcasing um, the the sound itself. Yes, but yes, I was I was also thinking about the the bolt. The um, bolt? I think we've discussed the bolt before, haven't we? The the bacon, onion, lettuce, and tomato? I don't know, but oh. would the would the onion be cooked? I I would assume so. Yeah. I, maybe <laughs> even maybe even some um onion strings. Oh yes. Onion rings. Yes, 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 yes. Because that because that would that would sell me. I mean I think the I think uh to me, very frequently, um, mayo is part of the the uh, the good experience of bacon. Um, that's, I mean, a, a straight up BLT yeah. might just be my favorite food. Period. Wow. Um, you know, especially if it's done well. So I, I don't know if I, I'm trying to think of like onion rings and and mayonnaise. Mm. But see, take away the mayonnaise from a regular BLT. And that's like, that's like middle of the road for me. The mayo just makes a huge difference. So, you pay a price, I guess, having mayo. But if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna indulge, at least have it be good, right? I, I completely agree, and I think that uh, that might be just the word for a BLT: indulgent. Yeah, true that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, so I, I, I this feels like a good segue to our. Uh, our, our our first essay of uh, from from Lamb about pig. That's right. <laughs> uh, aptly titled, a dissertation on roast pig. Yes. Um, and I guess we'll just go into what these. Oh yeah, please. Essays yeah. are a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, these are things I, I assume were published in in periodicals magazines things things of that nature this is coming from a different time i think um do you know offhand when these were uh published i think it's uh, 1880s or something uh let me see i uh i think it's 1880s i think you might be right uh but uh, these are this is a collection of essays so they they span um a pretty wide range and um I, I mean, they they kind of read like um, maybe blog posts or something like that. You know, they're they're intensely personal. Yes, uh, I agree. To to the point where, um, even if he has like a nugget that he wants to get into, he feels like he needs to contextualize it with when and where he recently thought about it. Yeah, and maybe yeah. even why, um, which is, uh, you know, I, I think. I don't know. Maybe this is a. Maybe these essays. This was the. Um, uh, maybe. 
it's the equivalent of podcasts, perhaps. Yeah, and, and, and I think it makes for relatively easier reading on the for for the reader, right? I mean, like it's it's nice to yeah, conversational. It, it's conversational. Yeah, you basically track the the thought process of the author. Yeah, and, and not unlike kind of what Virginia Woolf did in um, A Room of One's Own. That's right, exactly right, and um, I found them enjoyable to read, so I can I can see how they would have had some some currency. Did you? find find the same thing yes the, and the 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 one or two that the two that i read um for this week and we get into that i both found them enjoyable i think some of them took a little unpacking um but i think that at least like the style they're written in was was something was almost whimsical at times which i enjoyed okay yeah uh yeah same here um i think we'll get back to that with our with our second essay exactly but this first essay um which um I, I kind of had had pointed out to you that it existed, correct, uh, back a month ago or so, and um, I don't know how how tongue in cheek this essay actually is. I think uh, regular readers of of Charles Lamb may may be able to um, figure that out, uh, or at least make a more educated guess on that. But this uh, a dissertation on Rose Pig. Um, the context for that is he basically just retells a story that a friend of his translated from Chinese, he says. And uh, the, the story goes, uh, more or less, um, it's about the invention of cooking food, of, of, um, of uh, cooking meat instead of eating it raw. And he says that, um, according to the story... Mm-hmm. You know, some five thousand years ago, or something like that, um, all people ate their meat raw, and it was uh, it was hard to to fathom the idea of of cooking it. But he tells the story of a of a father and son. Uh, the son has a um, uh, he's a fire starter. He's a he's got a problem with setting fires. And one day, uh, his father's out in the field or something like that. And um, the sun sets the house ablaze. And uh, they had some some new piglets that were uh, they were killed in the fire. They were they were basically burned alive, which is not really that fun to think about. Um but when he went to investigate, his father's still not there. Went to investigate these pigs and uh, they were hot. So when he touched them, he burned his hands, and this is how cooking was born. Because he, feeling the burn on his fingers, instinctively put them in his mouth and tasted them. Instinctively. Instinctively. Couldn't help himself. And the taste was so good. This roast pig, I just imagine it as, as, as bacon, the way it was cooked. That's why mm-hmm. they're doing it this week. Exactly. Um, it was so good, he couldn't help himself. The taste was... The taste drove him to then just just start pulling pieces away from this this whole cooked piglet, and uh, he was just devouring this this pig. When his father came home, um, obviously very upset that his house was burned down. I think that was probably <laughs> his first concern, and uh, all the more bizarre, his his son is like like picking through the. The, the smoking uh, remains of his house and like pulling apart uh, this pig that was cooked alive and I guess there's some kind of uh, moral uh, problem with this and uh, the son's like you know you don't understand this is um, it's just really good and he he like forced some of the burned pig on his father's hands which burned his father's hands and his father instinctively put his fingers in his mouth. And uh, the taste was so intense that they, uh, according to the story, then sat down and like ate all of like six piglets right then and there. Wow. Yes, very intense. Um, and uh, others in the, the countryside started to take notice that... Um, Every once in a while, 
their house would burn down. They would apparently were burning it down on purpose as soon as, you know, a sow had some piglets. Huh. Like it's, oh, it's all now. It's time to, to burn down the house. Oh, man. And eventually they were found out um, and uh, put on trial. This is uh, maybe the. I don't know which part of this is hardest to believe, but this is, <laughs> this is a part that's hard to believe. Okay. Put on trial for their lives because of the, the moral implications of, of cooking meat. And uh, But while they were on trial, the jury asked to be given some cooked meat to help help them with their decision. And apparently that cooked meat was still hot. The cooked pig was still hot. So every jury member uh, burned their hands and instinctively put their fingers in their mouth. And the taste was so good that they refused to pass judgment on the father and son. And so the cooking of meat was born. It, it is a good story. It is, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I've never heard it before from any other source. Nor have I. So I wonder if, it, is this like a, like a Nabokov type thing where he's just like making up people? Like he's, oh, I got this from a translation. It's a, my, a friend of mine. Uh. He's like, he's like two, two steps away, right? Cause he's not, um, even though he's acting like it, he's not defending the, the veracity of the exactly. text. Right. And he's explaining a way that, uh, you know, I'm working through somebody else's translation. Exactly. So he's, yeah, the, the separation there, I think, makes... Uh, like a pale well, fire. I, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, like creating a new narrator who's also relating another story. Yeah. Gives you some separation. Yeah, yeah, the, the truth can be ambiguous. Yeah. I, um... I mean, I think I think it's just a. I mean, if I had heard the story, I think I'd also would want to retell it. I think that there's there that there's uh, something well, stylized so about it. I did, yeah, right. <laughs> there's something very stylized about the fact that everybody you know has to put their fingers in their mouth after right. they burn themselves. They didn't want to, but it was so instinctive. Yes, and then so immediately delicious. Yes, right. Um, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it does make you think about the history of, of cooking and food. I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but you, you wonder whether how much of it was incidental, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that probably nobody ever thought that the only way to cook meat was to burn their house down. I think that's smart. Yeah. But, you know, just uh, people invest a, a lot of uh, time and effort into their houses. Just seems like... Uh, Seems like kind of a waste to burn down a house. As I, good I want, as bacon is, yeah. I mean, they could have been so confused, perhaps, that, that they felt they needed to have the whatever flavor of the burnt house associated with it, so they just wanted to replicate that. Interesting. Um, they can make some. Uh, uh, they can make some sense, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's already kind of a of a story hard to believe so we could probably make up any sort of or impute any sort of uh motives or motivations um yeah well, so, so, good, so good story yeah. or no good story um, yeah you know we we're doing the essays of charles lamb this week and exactly it's a very relevant story i'm not i don't know that there are really any nuggets in there no, but it was a fun story to, to retell uh, I, I, I think there might be you know here's an essay as to writes about a lot of different topics um uh, yeah, I think it might uh, be worthwhile to kind of to, to shift to one of the other ones we, we went to this week, right? Which is uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's a very we as we record this, this is the day after Valentine's Day, right? So we just thought, you know, as we were looking through what essays to go for, I, I figured that this was one that, that we could dig into. I think it was, uh, um, I, there, you know, I think it's uh, this is one of those uh, he writes it in kind of a fanciful way. You know, he says, you know, hail to thy returning festival, O Bishop Valentine, great is thy name in the rubric, et cetera, et cetera. He just, you know, it's kind of, um, he's, he's evoking, it's evocative, I guess is the way to say it. Um, yeah. But but I think that there was a nugget in the middle of here, if I if I may kind of point out, or at least like a, a question that he raised that I think that many of us have raised at times, especially around this time of year, which is why why has the heart become the uh, the symbol, the... the uh, 
the yeah, the, we'll, we'll say the symbol of love. Right. So, yeah, I, I read this and it struck me as like a like a like a Jerry Seinfeld type thing. Exactly so, right. Have you ever noticed how we use the heart, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you just like have a whole bit here that which he writes down. the The punchline was great. I know. Um, I agree. He says, uh, um, "Was yeah." You know, so he talks about like you know um, what, what, what authority we have in history or mythology for placing the headquarters and metropolis of God Cupid in this anatomical seat rather than any other is not very clear. And he goes on. And eventually he, he makes some statement like, you know, imagine if someone were to now choose another body part yeah. such as, and yeah. he says, uh, Madam, um, Madam, my, my liver and fortune are entirely at your disposal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I can imagine a reader back in the day exactly. finding that, that, that as amusing as we do today. So, it's um, probably more amusing than we do today. Yeah. The, guess. um, but it is amazing, right? I mean, why is the heart? And anytime you try to take it apart, it just doesn't quite cut it, as it were, right? So, apart? like, well, take apart the heart, yeah. Um, oh, try not to think about that. Oh yeah, right. But uh, but think about like you know like the pumping of blood and everything. Like, is that really what it has to do with? I don't. I have no no idea about the history of of how this became be the symbol. And I don't well, even think he, have you ever he gets had like it. a like a like a blood rush where you just you just feel hot? You can like feel your heart beating. Yes, sure. And it's yeah. a. Um, you know, like like an adrenaline type thing, right? I wonder if that's I wonder if that's it. Yeah, if you really if you really get, um, uh, I don't know, really intense feelings, or you like a fleeting moment where you get to see someone, or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, it might have, yeah, it might have something to do with that. Maybe at some point, people assumed, uh, like, well, people associated the the flowing of blood maybe with. With those feelings, right? So I guess yeah, the humors. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was thinking that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, feeling sanguine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, I, want, I think the sanguine part came. Oh, I know. I see what you mean. So, um, so um, yeah. In that case, um, have you ever? I saw this once. I don't know if this is true or not, but you know that the 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 shape of a heart. You know, as we would draw it on a Valentine, exactly. Right, is not really the shape of a human heart, right? Right, but uh, could it be? I'm not crediting this this idea with my to myself. I don't remember where it came from, and I don't know if it's true. But can it be two hearts together? Oh, so like it's in in fact the the, the thing we associate with the heart of Valentine's Day is actually like two hearts overlaid or something yeah like a like two hearts joined right that would make some sense but that would make some sense um and uh because think about the, the the actual shape of the human heart is not nearly as uh um symmetrical even right right but if you cut like a, a heart that we draw in half like that one half like the right half i guess yep. mm-hmm no, that's that's uh, vaguely the right shape. Yeah, it's more yeah. the right shape. Yeah, and it's a shame that it, it's uh, well, it's not a shame, but I was thinking like you know the actual human heart has so many connections to it. Um, but uh, you know, again, this is all stylized. Yeah. But I just thought it was an interesting, you know, question to ask, and it's funny to think about other other body parts, right? And, and and maybe it's one of those things where if you start to think it out and make all these different inferences about different body parts, you might eventually land back at the heart again. Like it, it, there may be actually, it may actually have the best logic associated with it, right? Mm, um, yeah, I can think of some other human organs that are, in some ways, more more associated with with love. But uh, we can leave that there. Uh, yeah. There's there's one other um, thing from this essay that okay. I wanted to bring up, which is uh, mm-hmm. you know this little story he told of of uh, you know his friend. I wonder if all these friends are made up, but a friend who lived across the street from this uh, this girl that he, uh, young woman that he really liked. Yes. And he sent an anonymous Valentine, which I think is was part of the uh, the appeal originally. Right. Right. Um, but the the idea of like enjoying um, enjoying making someone happy anonymously. Like, oh, then, yeah. like, like these days, these days, um, 
if someone sent a valentine, wouldn't you, ex like, expect to find out who it was from? Even if it wasn't uh, clear from the, from the, from the beginning? Uh, wouldn't you wouldn't you expect to eventually find out? You mean, you mean if, but through inference or actually through someone actually revealing themselves? Yeah, like let's say someone's playing a game or something, but the 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 end of the game is for the person to be revealed. I would right. think. Yeah, like, yep. I think yep. I think that expectation is so high that if you got something anonymous and the mystery was never solved, mm -hmm. it just wouldn't be a good thing. I don't know how good a thing it would be. Yeah, I agree. Like the, it makes me think. Sorry to interrupt. It makes me think of the concept of a secret admirer. Right, right. But the secret admirer still wants to be known. I think. At some I think. Point. I think. I think at some point. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, but even just just the the. I mean, you raise the interesting issue of just the uh, anonymous good acts more broadly, right? Um, in some sense, like when when we're talking about Valentine's and you send an anonymous Valentine, it, it, I think you usually do it because you you know you're nervous or something, and you, but you want them actually to eventually know you, but you, uh, but you know it could be nervousness or anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm thinking like broadly about acts of kindness, doing them anonymously, right? Like when people donate anonymously, you know, yeah. this happens all over the place, and in some sense, it's the exact opposite effect, right? Where you, yeah, you actually and, you actually there literally has to be a way, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Uh, so so Lamb says here about this anonymous. Valentine. Mm -hmm. um, it was more like some fairy present, a godsend, as our familiarity, familiarly pious ancestors termed benefit received, where the benefactor was unknown. Right. It would do her no harm. It would do her good forever after. It is good to love the unknown. So yeah. is that a, is that a statement to which you agree? The. Um... That, good that, to love the unknown. Um, I'd have to unpack that. I mean, in, in this sense, uh, I'm not sure quite what he means by unknown. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like um, if if it can't be fully realized, and I and I mean that in in a more literal sense, right? Um, like you know, fully cognated. Correct. Then maybe it stays pure stays um you know unsullied maybe that is good maybe that is good sometimes if it can do no harm at least that's the idea anyway yeah, yeah i'm thinking more about the, the no harm thing um yeah it's again i think this is stylized probably right i mean you could probably imagine instances where uh, sending an anonymous Valentine could actually do great harm. Well, have you ever felt um, have you ever felt this way? I think we probably have talked about this before, but um, I often find my you know like let's say uh, you know you overhear someone someone playing some music, um, someone makes a spectacular comment, um, you know they impress you with their physical appearance, um, any anything like this where it's like a stranger. And you'd have no reason to talk to them. Right. And, um, you know, in the, in the continuous dialogue in my head, which I think we all have, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I should actually, you know, just say to the person, like, like this is really good. And then um, I always then next, uh, my next thought is, oh, well, I'll add some weight to it, some credence to it by saying, like, oh, I never make this type of comment. Um, but I'm making an exception here. Like that's how special it is. But then I, I always, then the next con the next realization in my mind is yes, actually you don't ever make these comments. That's why it won't actually happen in the first place. Right. You almost kind of logic yourself out of, uh, it's, yeah. ever doing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's a, a, a little like logic fail. And I always run around the, the same circuit, um, I start I, I start that circuit uh, still sometimes, even though I know it always ends the same way. Hmm. Or it usually ends the same way. Anyway. The, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of other things to unpack here, perhaps. Um, 
but I, I'm wondering whether we might shift uh, gears here a bit. Yeah. And uh, and, and think about, um, should we go on to another one that you had mentioned that you had looked at this week? Yeah, so I uh, another essay that I'd recommend is uh, The Old and the New Schoolmaster. Oh, yes. And uh, once again, like the first a large chunk of it is just context for, for how he was thinking about what he was thinking about. Although, um, actually, I will go into that a little bit because um, uh, he says he gets most of his notions, which I think is code for nuggets. Um, from, I think it is. Mm-hmm. From uh, lamentably, lamentably desultory and immethodical reading habits. Wow. Odd, out-of-the-way old English plays and treatises have supplied me supplied me with most of my notions and uh that was just kind of a uh uh that weird moment when you feel like someone's looking over your shoulder because that's a pretty fair characterization of what we're trying to do here without a doubt uh, at least this week um but the the main takeaway of this essay is um he he compares the you know old to old to new schoolmasters, but he thinks, you know, back in the good old days, uh, schoolmasters just kind of assumed that, um, you know, what they had been taught or what was available to them in in their own language, you know, their little universe of knowledge, that that was a good enough universe of knowledge. And uh, that that was what their job was, was to impart that same universe of knowledge onto the next generation of, of uh, students. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, now in modern times, uh, which is, you know, uh, not the same as our our times, um, but each school teacher was um, expected to kind of be a master of everything and to be able to to teach everything and to know everything, uh, a wider variety of subjects. And I think the, uh, I think his impression was... uh, just wow like really this is a very wide swath of subjects that are available to be known and yet we're expecting these these teachers to know all of it. um and and what struck me is 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 something that uh, i think you and i've thought about um or talked about in the past which is you know these days now the it's really about specialization it's not yes. about being master of everything. Exactly. Like every every teacher that we ever have, from from grade school on, is expected to be um, a specialist, a master of very specific things, and and we're still working our way in that direction. You go to you go to college, university. If you were um, doing a, a dissertation uh, for a thesis, and it was not going to be about roast pig. Um, it would <laughs> it would have to be very very specific, right? Uh, you're, I don't know all the all these scholars just very very specific areas, and then it's kind of like weird. It's unusual these days when kind of a prominent thinker has has two different things that they do, like a like a Noam Chomsky, right? With the political stuff in addition to the linguistics universal grammar type stuff. Yeah, and, and and I think it's fair to say that scholars like that sometimes get critiqued quite harshly for working in in an area that people normally don't associate with them. Yeah, it's just all this pressure to specialize, which is not that fun. But especially from a from a teaching standpoint, if you're in a, a, a position to teach, um, I think you're you're expected to be a master of something. Uh, our education system is obviously a lot different. But uh, it still struck me that uh, he was able to draw a contrast. Um, I I guess I always uh, thought of the specialization thing as um, that it was kind of one trend line moving in one direction. Oh, you know, like the more people there are, the right. more specific you have to be to distinguish yourself. And that made sense to me. And it also made sense to me that like academia, either in a, a deliberate effort or or just through people acting in their own self-interest would want to kind of use those tools. You've got all these uh, uh, additional people now 
you'd want to use that to really um, drill down deep. And you can't, uh, the best way to handle that is to have uh, all these people drilling separately. Right. But it's not, it's not a straight line. There's a, so here's Charles Land. This is a time when he thought that uh, people were under pressure to, to master more subjects than they had in the past. So maybe that was a, a shorter period of time than, uh, rather than kind of the natural state of things earlier. Oh, and in some sense it was, uh, it was, uh, the reason he was pointing it out in an essay form was how unique it seemed like as a period of time, right? That there was a drive the other way. Yeah. And just like, uh, when, when you and I have talked about specialization, it's like, isn't it, isn't it kind of too bad in some way? Like it's, it's good, good for us as a society, we master more knowledge but uh, from from an, like an individual's experience standpoint, I I don't know how if I don't think that that's as fun. And, and I think he's he's kind of saying, oh, you know, is it really fair to like make make these people know all these things, or to expect them to to master all these things? That's that's all I got from that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I it it raises a good question there. Um... There's, yeah, I'm not sure what else I could say about that either. Um, but I, but I think that it does. You, yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 there's the the balancing act you're talking about here in terms of like satisfaction versus like the kind of the professional responsibilities, right? So like, all of us enjoy kind of dabbling perhaps a bit in different areas and like reading about new things, right? But like work wise, we're kind of expected to again have some sort of specialization, right? So and like that's yeah. how we, that's how we. Um, are conceived of, right? I mean, even like it comes back to the basic question of like when people say like, you know, what do you do, right? right. Um, uh, if you say like I'm a Renaissance man, that that would be an unusual <laughs> response, right? You you you're expected to have a specialization even today. Um, are you are you drawn to the idea of being a Renaissance man? Um, I will say, I, I, to be honest, not really. I, I feel I feel compelled, and I'm not sure if this is because there's just larger market forces at play. But I, but I sometimes feel compelled to to be uh, to develop expertise yeah. in, in in a particular area. I feel sure. like that that seems more valuable professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, like you want to be known as the person who knows something really well. That would be a valuable something to know well. Right. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's like if you were if you were going to be a musician, like how useful is it to be pretty good at like eight instruments? You know, in some, in a lot of respects, I think it would be uh, better for you personally to be just a little bit better at one instrument, even if correct. Meant, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's. I, I wonder if it's something to do with um, just just uh, perception of other people, or or, or the way we uh, understand others. We, we want to put people in boxes, right? Like that 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 helps us get through. A, uh, a you know a diverse world right that we try to understand people as like oh this person is x and expert in, in in y you know this person is this so maybe like we we just have difficulty conceiving of people who could be excellent at like five different instruments and it's like no no, no that doesn't make any sense to me right it literally does not make sense yeah um yeah but to me i'd rather i'd rather um i think i'd rather have some fun with five instruments than i would um you know, spending all that time mastering one. I think I, I, I have always been attracted to that idea. I, I think it's very attractive, and I wonder whether there are, you know, and, and Zesse might raise that question: whether there are times in history where Renaissance people are valued more than they are at other times in history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we so we just did Ben Franklin too. Exactly right. right. Yep. Yeah, that's that's another pretty good example. Exactly right. It was a, a guy who was most prominent. You know, in his country, at uh, at multiple things. Let's uh, let's live in the dream. I think that's right. That's right. I mean, you know, and we could try to think of examples in the modern day to to that extent, but um, it definitely seems like yeah. The only person that comes to mind is is a James Franco, right? People sometimes use the the uh, I forget what the word is, the Latin word for it, but is it is it epi, epithet or the epi, um 
the, whatever the word is for like a short phrase that's sometimes used to associate with someone's name, like in oh, Homer yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, you know, Renaissance man. Master of all ways of contending. Yes, which I love. Probably the, uh, the most famous epithet of all. Right, exactly, right. But I just think it's interesting that he is he is able to be associated with that um, and, and is valued for it. That is interesting. But, 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 but just imagine a world, Ryan, where everybody could be called that. It would be very hard to um, – it it, what's hard for me to imagine, I also think it might be hard for a society to exist if everybody decide to try to be expert or at least um, you know well-versed in, in, in everything or many things, right? Like how would that yeah. world work, right? I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's the way we were raised that we can't conceive of that. Yeah, right. Or... I mean, like, like it's not mathematically possible for right. all of us to be special in several ways. Exactly right. Because that that would that's just not what the word special means. Exactly right. And like, but but if, but if everybody who's on David Letterman as a guest was always introduced as, and this is this is uh, Mister you know Mister Hannah, comma, Jack of all trades, Jack of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> It just seems like that would be um, not as interesting of a world to live in. That's right. That's true. Those are people you want to know and not necessarily know from afar. Exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Which which, which might lead me to I don't know if you want me to dive into to even yet a more essay. We we may sure. not this week, but but uh, but but I'll well, just kind of take away from it or yeah. Yeah, one takeaway. I'll just I'll raise it briefly and then maybe we can close out, but but like you know, the essay I looked at was called "The Sanity of True Genius," which I think is somewhat related to our concept we were talking about here of, of you know jack of all trades, etc. Mm. And, and I and I think the the nugget here, but I would love to continue to unpack it even in my own mind, even after this, is something about like we associate uh, geniuses, or I should how do I say this? Um, I, I I would say one way I could gloss this essay is that there is a common approach to understanding genius as identifying them as insane or geniuses right mm-hmm. like it's like you know they're, they're crazy people right because they've they've done new things and, and it seems like uh charles lamb's take on this is that in fact th- these people are quite sane and the reason why we associate them with insanity is because the types of notions that they introduce to us um kind of put us in a um in a rapture, I'll, I'll briefly just read a, a, a quote here, which I think is kind of what it gets at this. It says, uh, the ground of the mistake, the mistake of, I, I assume, identifying these people as insane or not sane. Uh, the ground of the mistake is that men finding in the raptures of the higher poetry a condition of exaltation to which they have no parallel in their own experience, besides the spurious resemblance of it in dreams and fevers, impute a sense of dreaminess and fever to the poet. So when you read great poetry, you might get to like kind of a heightened state, um, and, and so you associate that heightened state with what the writer of the poem or the poet himself, right or herself, um, was in. The, the, you know, you assume that the state they were in that you are in is 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 is, uh, is the same, right? Um, yeah. So the, so the that kind of brings out- us back a few weeks, right? To uh, I'm sorry. That was. <laughs> that was uh, well, I, Poe had some things to say about that, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I don't recall specifically, but but I, I bet he addressed that in his uh, in his essay there. And, and we don't have to dig too much deeper into this, but I thought it was an interesting notion of of the, the the parallels between the experience of great art, like the way we experience it, and how we impute from that experience what the experience of the artist, him or herself, had. Ah. Uh. That makes sense because it, it, you know, we just said not too long ago. It seems like it's always very important to Charles Lamb to explain how he had arrived at a certain e- idea. Exactly right. So he wants Let's to make see. it seem like it was a much more mundane, as it were. I think literally mundane oh. experience. So there's there's kind of virtue in that, right? He has you, to kind of like prove how accessible it is. Or at least he feels like he should, right? He feels almost an obligation to the reader to, to make it seem like that. And, I'm not, you know, and again, we may, we may be over-imputing ourselves here or over-inferring, but but yeah. it seems like it was a very interesting title of an essay, Sanity of True Genius. And I, admittedly, there was, there's, some, there's some long paragraphs, as you remember, from your own reading too. So it's hard to kind of dig all the stuff in, but I think that he was trying to fake, or not fake, but, but emulate the kind of rapturous state in some of his writing in this particular essay. I see. Uh, but I think he was trying to make the notion, he said, you know, imagine... 
um, yes, you have this feeling, but when you get up in the morning, you, you, you realize how crazy, well, I don't know, I won't go into that, but the bottom line is that he's just trying to make it seem like it may not be for, for the genius, him or herself, it may actually be a very kind of natural state and not a heightened one and quite sane and rational when they derive great art or, or design it, right? So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to touch that briefly just because it reminded me of uh, the that's, Renaissance yeah, man thing you brought up. About. So something to think about, but, uh, but, but, you know, I think, uh, th- there's so much to, uh, you know, a lot of essays here. I'm really glad we talked about it this week. Um, but, you know, I think we should look ahead to maybe what's, what's next, right? In terms of That's our right. ingredients. Yes. Um, so do you have a, uh, an ingredient? Well, I, yeah, I think, um, I, I think we'll both like this one. How about peanut butter? Peanut butter. I think that's, um. That's good. That's going to force us into a, a kind of a different direction than we've been going in, I think. I think that's right, because I don't think we've ever had a spread yet, right? Would this be the first spread? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of just said guacamole. Right, but essential ingredient. Sorry, I should have said, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. But and uh, yeah. peanut butter is, uh, is a lot different than just about anything else. That's so right. But yeah, so, so this was... Uh, so this week, episode seven was bacon. Episode eight next week will be peanut butter. Right. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been it's been great today, Ryan, to talk about various things, uh, lambs' writings, but also uh, cows' meat. Um, so uh, so uh, till till next time. All right. I hope I hope you have a great week. Take care. Take care.